Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Uh, my name is Will. I'm the spiritual formation pastor uh, at Ransom Church here in town, uh, and it's an honor for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, again, our connection with this church goes really, really deep. Ransom is the daughter church of Linwood Church somewhere around 13 years ago, so a bit of a family reunion. Thanks so much for inviting me back. Uh, but my connection here uh, goes so much deeper than that. When my family relocated to Sioux Falls when I was beginning high school, uh, my family made the decision that one of the most important things that they could do as they chose a church, a local community to belong to, was to find uh, a vibrant youth ministry program, which we found here. So my mom and dad still attend this church. They only come to my church when I preach. That's uh, just how that breaks down for us. Uh, chances are you know them. Chances are you know my little brother Micah too, because uh, he's easy to get to know. But it was in this church that I made my faith my own. That I learned to integrate my faith with my life where I attended almost every service and every Sunday school that we held. Uh, I sat in a nice pew in the green carpet right up here all the time. And that was where I was able to learn to listen to God and where I ultimately heard his call for me to serve him vocationally in ministry. So when I say that I'm honored to be here, it's an honor for me to be here. It's incredibly meaningful for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, the last time I was on this stage was about 18 years ago when I married my wife. So we have deep roots in history here. And because you're in a series, Life Verse, I get to tell a little bit more of that story because it's those things that I learned here that paved the way for God to speak into my life, to impact me with the scripture that has most impacted my life over all these years. And the good news for you and also for me uh, is it's a really short verse, okay? <laughs> You'll have it memorized probably before we leave. You might already have it memorized and not even know it. It's just three words. I would say it's found all over Scripture, but it's most clearly found in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 16. It's not even the whole verse. I think that's cheating maybe, but it's a part of the verse. 1 John four sixteen b and this is what Scripture records the truth that God is love. God is love. A simple truth, right? But profound, right? Now, it's a short verse, which is a bad reason to pick a life verse. So if you're trying to find your life verse, don't just go with length. Jesus wept is like the shortest verse in the Bible, if you are going that direction, but I wouldn't recommend that for you. But this tiny, right, partial little scripture has been the most significant verse in my spiritual walk, my development, and my life. And the reason why, as I think I can share with you, is that in our pursuit of Jesus, in our pursuit of God, we get so used to hearing about God's love for us, right? John 3.16, it's on every sporting event, it's on the news, it's on every billboard. And I think that at least growing up, or even as we continue in our spiritual life, that we miss the greater message behind this love that God has for us, that God so loved the world. Here's that verse just for review. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to draw our attention to the beginning of that, that he so loved the world, right? You guys know what so love is, right? It's a little bit different than regular love, right? Love is easy to identify, right? I, I love my sons, but I made the decision here on Father's Day, right, to be a cool dad, right? 
pretty chill, not going to embarrass them, right? Before I had kids, right, I got this thinking, like, they'll know I love them, but I'm not going to, like, lose it. Like, I'm not going to post 10,000 pictures on Instagram of them. Like, I'm not going to be weird about it, okay? Anybody with me? Father's on Father's Day, right? Maybe not. Then my wife and I had our first son. And I'd never held a baby before in my life. No exaggeration. We're in the operating room, and they just hand me a screaming pink thing. Like, I'm not supposed to drop it, right? And something primal in me flipped. Instantly, in a moment, I knew that I would do anything for this child. I'll fight anyone. I'll jump in front of cars. I would stop bullets, right? Fathers, are you with me this morning? See, up until that point, if we would have had a conversation, I would have told you that I understood what love is. I understood the love that God had for me. I knew that my parents loved me. I knew that I loved my wife more than any other person on this planet. But when I held my sons, all of the sudden, I knew what so loved is. Because if we're honest, love is a natural feeling. We naturally feel feelings of love and admiration for people, but this idea of so loved is illogical. Love is attending your six-year-old's soccer game, right? Everybody does that. That's par for the course. So loved is running up and down the sidelines, ripping your shirt off because they just had a breakaway goal for the first time. Do you understand the difference between love and so loved? Love is placing others before yourself, but so love reorients your entire world in order to show that inordinate amount of love and affection and care towards someone. If you're familiar with the book by Francis Chan titled Crazy Love, this is what he calls the so love of God. It is a crazy kind of love. And this is why John is my favorite human biblical author. Because John, I feel like, gets this point more than anyone else. The the primary subject in his writings is the love of God, which is displayed in the person of Jesus. Have you read John, the Gospel of John, or his three letters? He also wrote the Revelation. Do you know how what he calls himself in his writings? Anybody know? He calls himself the one that Jesus loved doesn't say John. He says, the one who Jesus loved went with Jesus. The one who Jesus loved ran ahead, which might sound arrogant to our ears. That's what I used to think and and maybe still do. I, I don't think it's actually arrogance, though. I think it's humility. I think that John didn't want to name himself. He didn't want to be seen as equal with this Jesus, with this God in flesh. And so he leveled the playing field by removing his title and simply inserting himself as the one who Jesus loved. He redefined his identity in light of the love that Jesus had for him. And so years later, when the Apostle John writes the book of 1 John, we see him articulate the same premise over and over again. I just want to highlight a few of what leads up to this in 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one, one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. In chapter 3, verses 14, 16, and 18, he says, If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person has no, who has no love is still dead. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life 
for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Can you hear it? Everything that he says seems to be filtered through this lens, not just of love on a platonic level, but on this so love of God that so radically transformed him that it impacts everything that he does. This is the picture, the image that John presents to us from Scripture. And I think it's a challenge for us today to see ourselves, to see our world in the same kind of lens that John introduces us to. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been stuck? You've been stuck in your life. Have you been in a rut? Maybe it was a season of life. Maybe it was a stage. Maybe it was a workout routine or a work routine. What about in your relationships, your relationship with God and your Bible reading? Have you ever just had that feeling of being stuck in your life, right? It's a little bit itchy. You know you need to get moving, but you can't quite figure out how to get moving. When I was a senior in college, I found myself stuck. School has always been easy for me. I, I don't know why. Okay? I'm not particularly smart. Uh, I can just memorize and regurgitate facts, like, really quickly. I'm like an awesome test taker, okay? There's not many tests in adult life. I don't know if you're aware of that. Once you leave high school and college, nobody gives you a test just for fun anymore. I wish they would. Anyway, I'm the, kids who, I'm the kid who reads his notes 30 minutes before the test and just aces it, right? I know, I'm disgusted by it too. But that's my story, Okay. Here's the problem with that, right? The problem with that is that because of that, I never put much work into applying what I was learning. I learned the facts, I regurgitated on the test, and I forgot about it the next day. So my senior year of college, I'm at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, right? You had Professor McNall up here last week. Uh, I'm studying ministry, straight A's, obviously, right? But I have a moment of clarity, right? For the first time in my life, I'll be graduating, And I'll hopefully, probably, maybe get, like, a real job, right? And since I'm graduating with ministry, that real job will probably be, like, a pastor. Like, a real pastor. Like, people expecting me to know stuff about God, not just answers to test questions. And all of a sudden, I was stuck in this rut of all the information that I was so good at learning. It didn't actually mean much if it wasn't useful in serving the people that God called me to serve and helping them see and understand who God was. So I got stuck in a rut. The Holy Spirit led me to this book, the book of First John, and I was literally stuck in it for two years or so. I, I can't explain it. It still doesn't make sense to me, but I couldn't get enough of it. I would read it every day. I would read through the entire thing back to back. I would memorize large portions of it. I applied it. I learned it at a deep level what the text meant, how it impacted me, how it revealed who God was, how it changed and impacted the way that I ought to live and love in this world that he's given me and to understand more fully what God was calling not only me to, but us as a church, us as Christians toward. So today, when I talk to you about my life verse, and I say that it's God is love, that's not a cute phrase to me. It's not even because it's short and simple and memorable. It's not even that it's meaningful on its own, which it is. What I'm saying is that at a deep soul level that I've learned a lesson, that I've learned that there's a God out there who is big and majestic, and that that God chooses or is embodied most by the love that he displays in and through and among us. And that simple lesson fleshed out has changed my entire life. 
It's changed my ministry. And over the last two centuries, I think it's changed the entire world. A.W. Tozer is a famous Christian author, and he would say this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God, about who he is, that is actually the most defining, the most important characteristic about who you are and how you are created to be. Which is a great moment for a reflective question. When you think about God, what comes to mind? might be that your life verse is wrapped up in that or the lesson that God is teaching you in this moment. What comes to mind when you think about God? For me, when I think about God, I think about his love. I think about his love displayed in Jesus, his love poured out. For me, the love that he has for us as a community, as a people of individuals, I think about how when I act in love that I'm actually most like this God that I, desert, that I desire to follow and emulate in my life life. So at this point, I've been talking a lot about half a verse, pulling some random stuff together, right? Let's apply some hermeneutics. Let's put that expensive education to some use, right? Let's get a more biblically based perspective here. We're going to jump into the broader context of 1 John chapter 4. We'll go to verse 7. And the theme of 1 John is undisputedly love. He writes about it the entire book, and this comes to a crescendo ahead in chapter 4. So I want to walk through this passage, and then we'll pull out some key points together. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. John writes these words. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. There it is, tucked away in there again. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, don't miss that, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another then God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I don't know what you hear as you read those, but to me, I'm overwhelmed. This is so dense. There's so much content in there. We're only going to be able to skim the surface today, but my hope for you is that that gives you enough context to correctly understand this idea that God is love. Let's pull out some key thoughts first. We see that love comes from God. This is in verse 7 of 1 John 4. He's the author. He's the originator. Love doesn't exist outside of him in his presence. Showing it, displaying it, giving it, learning it from him. When love is present, we see that God is present. It's his idea. It started and originated with him. It is embodied by him. The love that we have is initiated from God. And the clearest sign that we have as Christ followers is that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. When we love, yes, upwards to God, but horizontally to our neighbors, friends, peers, strangers, when we love, we show that we have the presence of God, His Holy Spirit, living within us. 
Just like when we spend time with those people that we're in close relationship with, they begin to rub off on us. We show that we've spent time together. We begin to look like him, and our love looks like his love. Step back with me. What a stark contrast that idea, that love, this perspective is in the world that we live in today. I wish that were different among Christians. Statistics, social media, and interactions in the world tell us it isn't, right? Christians among all people are known for what we are against. We're known for the groups that we hate by the messages, the signs that are put out, or the social media discussions that we have. John here in this letter and in other places reminds us that our love is what we are to be known by, inside the church and outside. That's where our definition comes from. It's the proof that we know God, that we have God, that his love has changed us from light into darkness. So how true is that of you? How true of that is, is it in your actions, in your interactions with other Christians, with the world? Are you known by your love? Are you defined by the love of Jesus that you show? Or would people say something else about We're to be defined by our love. Because one, love love comes from God. Two, God shows his love in Jesus, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love is best displayed in the person of Jesus. And on Father's Day, I, can know, I can't think of a better way than to review God's actions throughout history through that lens of a father, of a father who has perhaps lost his children and is desperately trying to reconcile, to find them, to bring them back to himself. Sin separated us from our Father, from God, and God is continually redeeming us from our own vices. Ultimately, this relentless love is displayed in the person of Jesus who comes to pay the ransom so that we can be returned back to become a member of God's family. This is the so love that's present in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You see the continuation of the thought that the so love, the love that God has for us, that crazy love, that I do anything kind of irrational type of love, that the strongest place where we get it right as Christ followers is we have this robust understanding that we need a Savior, right? We make the priority of Jesus in our theology and our lives. What we may miss sometimes is how that so love transforms us and impacts us. Because God's so love for us, the expectation is that we are to be different, to live differently, to act differently, because it's so impacted us. He continues this thought in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, if we take that so love of God and we apply it to ourselves, then God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Number three, when we love God, we are most like God. When we behave in a way consistent with the attributes that our Father defines himself as, we are most like him. 
we most exhibit who God is. And if we understand the love that God has for us, then we will pour it out actually onto others. And when that happens, it says that's the proof, that's the evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And then don't miss this, the conclusion of that verse 12, number 4. God's love then is made complete in us. It's a really interesting phrase, don't you think? God's love is made complete in us. It's as if the writer is saying it's not complete without us. God's love is missing something when we're not present. What does that mean? It means a lot of things, but I think one thing that we can pull out is that love without an object is unexpressed. It doesn't reach its ultimate fulfillment. Love, without being displayed, poured out, shown, doesn't actually embody all that it can be. When we receive all the love that God has for us, but we aren't transformed by it, we don't share it, then the fullness of that love is unexpressed. It isn't shared. It hasn't bloomed or come to fruition. It's stagnant. Just like in seasons of life where people find themselves lonely hospice, end-of-life care, singleness, these things are so isolating and they're disorientingly lonely. Why? Because as human beings, we're designed, we're starved for love and connection and affection, both the receiving of it, but also the giving of it. Chances are this is why you got married if you ever were married, because you were not just in love, you were so in love, right? You had to express it. Flowers stopped cutting it. You needed a way to shout your love. So you bought the most expensive thing you'd ever purchased up until that point of your life, right? You called together everyone that you ever knew. You made a promise in front of God and all of those people, and your love became something different. It became, we could say, more complete. And then you had a child. You thought your heart was full before until then it was even made more complete. It keeps growing and expanding. Now, A quick pause here. Don't misunderstand me. You don't have to be married. You don't have to have children to be complete. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm simply underlining the fact that love must be expressed. Expressed to others in meaningful relationships. And the scripture says that when we do that, it shows that God lives in us, that he's changed us, redeemed us. And that his love is made most complete when we allow it to bloom outwards towards those relationships. And those are just the easiest ones to identify, the ones that maybe we connect the most with. But it isn't limited to those deep relationships. Those are just the big, easy ones. It's also the store clerk. It's the person who serves you coffee. It's the person of the other political party. It's the person with different ethics than you. God so loves them too. And it's our call to express his love to everyone. Because... 1 John 4, 16b, God is love. And whoever lives in God, and God, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. What's the result of all of this? What does this produce in us? So many things that we don't even have time to explore them, but one of the closest in proximity to these verses, and one of my favorites is found if we continue down into verse 18. 1 John 4, 18 says the the carrying out, the completeness that still is happening as we live and express in this love is that there is no fear in love. 
Nothing to be afraid of, right? Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When we live in love, God's love is made complete in us, and when we operate from that space, one of the things that we exhibit and experience and see is that there's nothing to fear because we're confident in the love that God has for us which is an entirely another message all by itself. So, my life verse is wrapped up in 1 John 4, 16b, that God is love. It's the most important thing about me because it's the most powerful way that I see and understand and experience God. And if you want to see that even more clearly, I would challenge you this week to just read through the book of 1 John. It's short. It won't take you long. And then you should see what God might be pulling out to you and speaking to you about that because this small verse and the scripture surrounding it has changed my entire life. It continues to impact the decisions that I make, and I would argue that it's changed the entire world, and it still has work to do. So, I hope that as you're in this series that you're learning and applying how to find your own life verse, finding out that central thought about who God is to you and how you can best understand his divine revelation to you and living from that core place. Because more than anything, that's what the world needs, is each of us knowing and understanding who God is and speaking that out. Would you pray with me? God, I am so moved and motivated to interact and to come to terms with this love that you have for us. God, not just the love that I can understand, but this love that is so much bigger, so much deeper, and is still have so much left to teach us. God, as we celebrate the fatherhood that you've placed in our lives today, would you remind us of your own fathering ways? the ways that you are pulling us into your embrace, teaching us more of what it means to be your child, continually redeeming us into a space where we are properly connected in life and in love and in relationship with you. It's only possible through your son, Jesus, and we testify along with the spirit that you've placed in us that he is your son, that he paves the way for us and shows us what it's like to be in perfect love with you. God, would you teach us from this word today? Would you guide us and instruct us in all truth? And would you enable and equip us to continue being your children in the world today? All God's kids agreed together and said...